Welcome to the Revelation Podcast. We're so glad you're here today. In today's episode, Dr. Neil Swatsky talks about the vials that are poured out on the earth and the time that God remembers Jerusalem. What is meant by every mountain will be gone? For all of that, here is Dr. Neil Sawatsky. I want us to go to the book of the Revelation, chapter 16. Book of the Revelation, chapter 16. Uh, this, is, uh, this is a chapter that shows us the delivery of the wrath of God. <clears throat> I have wondered uh, what people who are all of grace, and I am certainly a believer that our salvation is by grace, pure grace, nothing but grace, and we're kept by grace, and, and I believe in all of that, but so many of the grace people don't believe there's any judgment, and uh, that's where the issue lies. It's not the fact that they believe in grace, it's the fact they don't believe in the other side, and uh, I don't know what they do with Revelation 16 for sure, but that's not our concern tonight. Uh, our concern is to look at this chapter and just see uh, how the wrath of God is delivered. It's not a question as to whether it will be, but the question of how is it going to happen. And so we see that in the 16th chapter in the book of the Revelation. It is the last uh, portion of the tribulation period. Uh, it takes place within the last three and a half years. Again, I want to remind you that there is a seven-year period coming that is of great significance to the prophetic element of the Word of God. Uh, the, um, the 483 years were fulfilled for God's purpose for Israel during the week of the Passion of Christ, just prior to his crucifixion. So 483 years and 490 years were predicted. 483 years were fulfilled. That's history. And there's a seven-year period to make it 490. These seven years are unaccounted for. Uh, they're not to be found anywhere in history. Nothing matches their fulfillment. And uh, so they have yet a future fulfillment. So this is the whole prophetic theme of what we understand the Scriptures to teach. So those seven years will come somewhere in the near future. We don't know when, but we do believe it will be sometime soon. And uh, those seven years are divided up into two portions. You have the first three and one-half years. They're not three and a half years of peace. They're three and a half years of setup and turmoil and difficulties, but it is in the middle of those uh, seven years where the Antichrist appears, and he will be identified as the Antichrist. People won't know he's the Antichrist ahead of that, but they will know in the middle of the tribulation period that he was the pseudo-Christ, he was the false Christ, and he comes to establish his position in the temple that will have been rebuilt by that time. And so in the middle of the tribulation, he establishes his own relic, idol, whatever, maybe a robot that will give sing praises to him. Uh, in any case, he will defile the temple of God, and Israel will know that they have been duped once more. And it is after that three and one-half years is where the uh, great difficulty comes. The greatest, the greatest of all of the difficulties will come approximately the end of those three and a half years. 
is hard to pinpoint it, but it's obviously somewhere very, very close to the end, and that's where we come into Revelation chapter 16. In chapter 16, we will look at the world's largest empire of all time. Now, there have been empires. They have come and they have gone. It's intriguing to look at historical uh, evidences and historical information and to discover how certain empires lasted for a couple of hundred years. Some lasted for a very long period of time. But all empires either rise and fall depending on the nature of their leadership, uh, the acceptance of their leadership, the trends and times, and all of a sudden an empire comes to a sudden end. Now, this, the world's largest empire, is my own. This is not something that I picked up from anyone else, so don't go quoting this all over the place, which you don't do anyway. But, but I call it the world's largest empire, and I want to show you what I think is the world's largest empire. And I have reasons for saying this, and I'm going to try to explain that to you. Uh, there are seven continents in the world, and they're divided up with 125 recognized countries in the world. 193 of those countries are members of the United Nations. The Vatican and Kosovo are two that are not currently members. So we have every one except for two nations as a part of the United Nations. This is what I call the world's greatest empire, the largest empire of all time. Never has there been an empire with this amount of both countries as well as continents represented on their entire scheme of doing things in the world. Now, the United Nations, the greater portion of the United Nations is made up of Muslim countries. I think you know that. And it's extremely difficult for this empire to function smoothly. Uh, it, has its, uh, it has its challenges. But every country in the world that's a member of this empire has input into it. And uh, they do uh, all kinds of challenges to that empire. But it continues to be. Whether the Vatican and Kosovo will one day join, I, I have no idea. All we know is that right now they are not members, so that outside of two countries that do not represent a large number of people, we have a world that is a conglomerate of all kinds of countries. Now, what I want you to see from this is that the world as a whole has never been friendly towards God. It has never been accepting of Jesus Christ. It has never uh, promoted him. The world, the flesh, and the devil. These are the three enemies of every person. These three have fought against truth. These three have sought to establish their own truth. And like that great Babylonian empire many, many years ago under Nimrod's leadership where they built a tower that would give them protection from God. It would keep them from God inter fearing with man's plans, and so they wanted to be self-sufficient, so they built this tower, only to discover that the God of heaven said, you will not successfully build this tower, and from that point on, we've had the division of languages and nations, 
And uh, so that's where, obviously, ultimately, the development of the United Nations come. Again, same purpose, same program. We are the saviors of mankind. Uh, I don't know if you've read any of the manifestos, the human manifestos that are put out by people within this empire. Uh, they will tell you very quickly that we do not believe that any deity will save us, but we will save ourselves. So this is a humanistic system. It is a system governed by man. It is a system that does not take into account the Lord God of heaven, does not take into account the Lord Jesus Christ. And so when we come to Revelation chapter 16, my little scheme here that I have just kind of thought through uh, seems to unfold rather clearly. And I hope that you are with me on this as we look at this magnificent chapter. If you go to chapter 16, I'm going to read the first two verses to begin our study. So we read, first of all, that I heard a great voice out of the temple saying to the seven angels, go your ways and pour out the vials of the wrath of God upon the earth. So this is the delivery of the judgment. This is where God is saying to the seven angels. Now remember that Revelation is all about sevens. Oh, you got so many sevens. You just got, you can't stop finding sevens in the book of the Revelation. Uh, you might say, I'm going to do an exercise and find the sevens, and then you find out you find some more. That's just about the way it is in this magnificent book. Anyway, the whole Bible is that way. But here we have, these angels have a command out of the temple in heaven where God is saying, I want you to deliver these vials, these bowls upon the earth. Verse 2 says, And the first went and poured out his vial upon the earth, and there fell a noisome and grievous sore upon the men which had the mark of the beast, and upon them which worshipped his image. Let me uh, let me back up here just one more time with you. I emphasize this, not trying not to be redundant, and try not to be overly simplistic. But I also know that some things we just kind of, in all of the words that we use, like one of my granddaughters says, Grandpa, where do you find all those words? And I said, oh, they just come out, that's all. But here we have the statement that those people who had received the mark of the beast. Remember that the mark of the beast is found several chapters back. It's found in Revelation chapter 13, and they come to the number of man, 666, but it's 660 and 6, so 666. And this is a symbol that will be given to people in the tribulation time as a means to be able to buy and sell, to be able to trade, to be able to survive the tribulation period. People who do not take the mark of the beast uh, will most likely starve to death. There will be some survivors, but hard to know how many those might be. That is the mark of the beast, but Revelation chapter 14 told us in crystal clear words that those that receive the mark of the beast, they face the fiery wrath of God. They will be in the winepress of God's wrath. They are not subjects of salvation. They are not people who will be brought to Christ at any point thereafter because they have voluntarily taken the mark of the beast. Now, a part of my reasoning for this against Jimmy DeYoung and John MacArthur and others who teach this is very simply this. 
that those who receive the mark of the beast, they have this fearsome, this noisome, this grievous sore that comes upon them. So we have the beginning of extreme uh, sorrow that happens to those who have taken the mark of the beast. Uh, Job, uh, as you know, is one example in the Bible of someone who had boils all over his head. And from what we read in this entire book is that he was one of the most miserable men uh, to be alive in his own time. It was, it was complex. It was difficult. So what do you think in terms of a future time when people, the majority of people who have taken the mark of the beast, will suffer from body sores from head to foot? Boils? Uh, are one of the most painful things you can have. And if you've ever had one, that's enough. You don't want a body full of them. And these people will, of course, have these very loathsome sores that appear to them. Then we go down to verse number 3, and we notice that there's another thing that happens, and this is a very intriguing prophecy because it says, And the second angel poured out his vile upon the sea, and it became as the blood of a dead man, and every living soul died in the sea. Now, I've had a few people uh, mock me when I teach this, and that's okay. Let them mock. I only go by what the scripture says. Uh, what I see here in this statement in verse number 3 is that the seas will be as the blood of a dead man. I don't know that it'll be actual blood or if it'll be just gelled up blood, and that's what the blood of a dead man is. So it's not a flowing thing. It's, a, it's kind of a gel. So it's possible that the seas that receive this judgment will become a jelly type of blood appearance which after a few days would not be very pleasant. In fact, because so much of the world is covered with waters and the seas and the oceans, the, uh, the stench will be just beyond imagination, just staggers and defies imagination what could possibly be there. But the interesting thing that I see here is that every living soul died in the sea. So whatever was a living creature... Remember under Noah's flood when God judged the world universally because of the wickedness of mankind and only seven, uh, seven people survived it, Noah and his immediate family. But all the sea creatures survived it because this was water. So there was not an issue for the sea creatures. So they, they made it. But this time when the judgment of God comes, it is a severity upon the unbelieving men who believed the Antichrist and chose him instead of choosing Christ. And then we see that all of those creatures who are found in the sea are, are suddenly gone. They're suddenly dead. So every fish, every Loch Ness monster, uh, every, uh, everything, and I want to start to mention all the other things that are in the seas, you can imagine them all being dead simultaneously. What, what is left? Seafood lovers, there's nothing left for them. Uh, fishermen. It's a huge industry. There's nothing left for them. Uh, besides, there's such turmoil that will be happening in the world that they may not even be thinking in terms of their, uh, of their activity as fishermen. But the fact is that the seas, the bodies, the large bodies of water become like blood. Then we notice in verse number 4 down to verse number 7, we read these verses. 
And the third angel poured out his vial upon the rivers and the fountains of waters, and they became blood. This now doesn't say that they became as blood, but this says that they become blood. So however this happens, we don't have a real explanation how Moses went into the land of Egypt, and all of a sudden the waters in Egypt became blood. The magicians tried to imitate this. They they could not, but we have... We have the rivers becoming blood there, and how they will become blood, only God can do that, and he's going to pour his judgment. So people who say, well, you know, I'm going to kind of be self-sustaining in that time, uh, not likely. Uh, the rivers, and they become blood, and verse 5 says, And I heard the angel of the water say, Thou art righteous, O Lord, which art and wast and shall be, because thou hast judged thus. Can you put yourself into the place of this angel? Can you put yourself in the place of anyone who would be observing all of the large bodies of water that are now maybe gelled blood-like substance, and now all of a sudden you see the creeks and you see the ponds and you see whatever body of water supplies the fresh drinking water, and so on. all of a sudden you see it as blood. Can you then turn around and say, yeah, God, you did the right call? Can you imagine that? Uh, this is, but however, this angel comes out of the temple of God. He's at one with God, not in essence, but he's at one with God in purpose. And so he comes to deliver the wrath of God, and the angel says, this is proper. What? Do you know that when the great white throne takes place, and we're not there yet, we're coming to it somewhere a few weeks down the road, months down the road, where we come to this, and there's not even going to be one person judged who's going to accuse God of false or bad judgments. The judgment will be so accurate, it will be so infinitely true, that every person observing or every person involved in the judgment will say, your judgment is righteous. There's no one can argue against your judgment. And that's what this angel is doing. He is saying, because you have judged thus... For they have shed the blood of saints and of prophets, and thou hast given them blood to drink, for they are worthy. So he said they're getting back in kind what they have done. All the way through the history of the church, there has been a bloodbath that has taken place in various regions of the world. Men have so hated Christ, and men have so hated the church, and men have so hated everything righteous that they have literally taken and burnt at the stake and cut to pieces and done unbelievable damage to the bodies of people, destroying them, some in the deepest terror and agony you can possibly imagine. And they took glee in this. They enjoyed this. They loved doing this to Christians. They loved feeding our kind to lions and just watch our kind being torn apart from limb by limb by limb by ravenous lions within the theaters and other means of cruel death. And the angel says, they have it coming. Remember that what the world lashes out against God, they're going to get it back, but they're going to get it back with bricks. It's going to be an un indescribable and an unbelievable type of situation that happens here. And then in verse 7 we read, And I heard another out of the altar say, Even so... Lord God Almighty, true and righteous are thy judgments. So what we notice in verse 4 through 7 is not only the fact of the judgments, 
Not only that these judgments are being delivered upon this cruel, cruel world, but the angels who are in the temple in heaven coming out to deliver it have no remorse about delivering these judgments. In fact, both of these angels are saying that we're on board with this. We are good with this. This is what an unbelieving world deserves. And I know that this is not the kind of thing that we like to think about a lot. Uh, vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. This is not man taking vengeance against man. The Bible tells us not to do that. The Bible tells us to leave every bit of vengeance into the hands of God. He will take care of it. But what we see here is that God is doing exactly that. He's taking care of that which man has done. So if you find yourself ever suffering for the name of Christ and you find yourself being trod, trodden upon for the name of Christ, remember this, judgment day comes. We may encounter some uncomfortable days. We may even suffer death. But judgment day comes, no one will get away with touching the Lord's people. No one. It'll come back on them. And that's what the angels, and they're actually saying, uh, yeah, we're good with this. So you have, essentially, you have everything, every available drink that has become useless. How long can you live before you're so dehydrated that you just can't function anymore? Not very long. And so we know that this period is a very short period of time, or else there would be nobody left existing in the world. We, we have the fourth bowl that we see in verses 8 through 9, and this is uh, Al Gore's verses. Uh, they are for him, and therefore are climate change people. Now, I just want to say to you tonight that I think that there is some climate change. I don't doubt that, but the fact is, we're not going to change it. And my, my problem with this whole climate change thing is, used to be global warming, but they've kind of changed their minds on that. Uh, but because scientists have just constantly fought back on it. But on the other hand, the, 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 the changes that take place. I mean, they're talking about unprecedented water levels in Carolinas. It just, just hasn't happened before. So, so definitely there are some changes. I think there's the, we're not going to argue the point that there are changes. How are you going to fix them? Now, I understand it was Donald Trump's fault that this hurricane came. Did any of you hear that? Some, a number of you did. You know, like him or not, that's just absolutely, that's just absolutely plain idiocy. That's just, oh, no one would have ever believed that Obama could bring a hurricane into the world. But I just want us to look at verse 8 through 9. There is coming a day that the world has not counted on. This is what the global warming people were warning us about. And this is what the climate change people are warning us about. The only thing is they think they can change it all. Stop your engines, go on the go trains, walk the rest of your life, cut all electricity off, don't use any energy, just go ahead and just live a life of absolutely nothingness, and you'll be able to change the world. No, you won't. Nothing is going to change. You look at verse 8 and 9, the fourth angel poured out his vial upon the sun and power was given unto him to scorch men with fire. And men were scorched with great heat and blasphemed the name of God, which have power over these plagues, and they repented not to give him glory. Saturday was warm enough to almost make you want to repent of something. Didn't know for sure what, but, but Lord, if it's time to repent, I'm going to do it. 
it was it was hot. It was just hot Saturday, like like last Wednesday. It was just hot, and uh, I'm not saying that it's hotter than it's ever been. I'm not saying that. I'm just not into those facts and figures, so I don't even know that. But I tell you what, you don't really want it to get an awful lot hotter, do you? Like if you if you have such heat that you feel like you can hardly walk, and you feel like you're going to burn when you go outside. I don't know if any of you saw this, but in Texas, they were actually frying eggs out on the highways. They were just proving how hot blacktop was getting. So this summer, they would do that. Or on the hood of vehicles, they could put an egg on there and fry it. So that gets me pretty hot when that happens. But this is the kind of heat that will by far exceed. Now, it's the same source that we have today. It, it's, it comes from the same place. From where? It comes from the sun. So, so as the sun uh, pours its rays out upon us, we either enjoy it or we say it's a little bit too much. These people will have absolutely nothing to say about it because when this angel t- pours his pours his vial upon the sun, the sun will then begin to scorch men. Men will be burning in the fires that will happen on the earth. Can you imagine the forest fires? Imagine the bushes and everything that uh, can burn, will burn, and men will be out there and they're going to suffer the horrendous consequences of a burning heat so hot. Uh, Will they find air-conditioned buildings? Some writers say, well, you know, they'll be okay as long as they find air-conditioned buildings. I I expect if you've that kind of heat, you might have some of the tubing stuff that runs to air conditioners melting. you might have some complications there depending on air-conditioned buildings. So I don't think that there's going to be any kind of shelter that men will discover to be of any kind of help for them in this time. Uh, how long will this heat go? How long will this... Don't know. We're not told how long it'll happen. All we know is that there's coming a day when the heat will become so intense that there will be massive amounts of death. Guess what? These, again, are the people that accepted the mark of the beast and said we will do loyalty and pay our faithfulness to the Antichrist because we want to survive. All right? So some people died because of martyrdom from the Antichrist and they were put to death. However, these very same people who did this very thing now suffer from the hands of God a death that they cannot avoid but a death that is excruciatingly painful. And it comes upon them in verses 8 through 9. We have the fifth bowl, and we find that in verses 10 through 11, if you look down at uh, those verses with me. And the fifth angel poured out his vial upon the seat of the beast, and his kingdom was full of darkness. And they gnawed their tongues for pain, and blasphemed the God of heaven because of their pains and their sores, and repented not of their deeds." If you remember that one of the plagues in Egypt to convince Pharaoh to let the people of Israel go was darkness. And so it prevailed over the kingdom of Egypt. I don't know if it prevailed over the earth, but it prevailed. It doesn't matter. But the kingdom of Egypt was dark. Wherever the kingdom of this beast is, and here's where my little scheme comes up, you have 193 of the 195 countries of the world are United Nations, which in my mind is the empire of the beast. It is a secularized, 
humanistic, anti-Christ, anti-God system worldwide. So if the kingdom of the beast now all of a sudden becomes extreme darkness, this kingdom is going to encounter that, which tells me that it's going to be a global blackout. How far? How long? The far, I think we can answer in the global sense. Again, how long that will happen? Uh, again, it might be a short period like it was in Egypt. Uh, doesn't matter. But what we have here is we've got, at some point in the future, we've got a world becoming so dark so that none of the skylights will be evident. None of the sun, none of the moon, none of the stars, none of that, no Milky Way will be evident and men will not have electricity by that time to be able to, to, to generate light. They're not going to be able to do that. Whether they have small generators, I, I, they don't go very far apparently. So what you've got here is you've got extreme darkness. It, engul it involves the beast's throne. It has to do with the seat of the Antichrist. It has to do with the seat of the beast who comes to fight against God. And what God is showing to the Antichrist here is he's showing him that I am in complete control. You don't switch on a light. If I tell you you can't switch it on, you're not going to switch it on. If I tell you you're not going to go anywhere because it's so dark you can't see anything, you're going to be stuck right there until the darkness is lifted. It just shows that our God is in control in all of this. And so this comes upon the kingdom of the beast. Very interesting in verses 12 through 16 that the sixth angel poured out his vial upon the great river Euphrates. Now the river Euphrates has been there ever since the beginning of creation, and it has flowed down through the lands on the, uh, on the east side of Israel, and it has been there. It is there now. It has been there historically. It will continue to be there. But it's interesting that this landmark, so significant. It's been there for the 7,000 years of the Earth's existence. Not 40 billion, but the 7,000 years of Earth's existence. That river has been flowing there. There has been water way up in the mountain regions that have spread that, that have, that have uh, fed that river. And that river has constantly flowed down to go down into the area of Kuwait and then down into the sea down there. So it's been a steady source of livelihood for Iraq, used to be Babylon, for all these countries, Jordan, Arabia. But the day is coming, and if you can see the picture, I don't know if you see it clearly enough, but the day is coming when the riverbed of the Euphrates River is going to be nothing but dust and stone. It's going to be dried up. How is it going to be dried up? We read in verse number 12, that this vial was poured upon the great river Euphrates and the water thereof was dried up that the way of the kings of the east might be prepared. Now, this is for the purpose of the kings of the east. I do not believe that this river has to be dried up for the kings of the east to be able to pass over it. Uh, that's not what I am saying. It might be convenient for it to be dried up because of the ongoing battles. There may not be any bridges left over the river Euphrates. Right now there are tons and tons of bridges over it so people can actually use that. And, but they may be all gone, so it might be very helpful to have the riverbed dried up, but they would make their way across. If George Washington could get across a very heavy river back oh, a couple of hundred years ago, 
and get it to the other side to fight the battle for the establishment of the colonial colonies, then for sure that these kings of the east could manipulate the river and get across it. So that's not the big point. The big point here is God is showing something, something that's been there for all of the time of the earth. He can just suddenly like that say, I can put a stop to it. I can just put my finger in there and all of the floods, the source of it's all gone. Now remember the heat that we talked about just a few minutes ago? The unbelievable scorching heat? Remember that the waters from the sources up in the mountains, Ararat and those areas, they bring fresh water coming down as these glaciers melt and the fresh water comes down and fills up the Tigris and the Euphrates River. But the extreme heat will have evaporated and killed all of the ice caps and everything up there There'll be no source for the Euphrates River. There'd be no way to feed it. So God puts a stop to it. That's it. Euphrates River dries up. God's showing his power against something that is so formidable. If you and I were to think in terms of how can they stop the Euphrates River, there's no way. Only God can do it, and he will make it a dry bed. Now, if you notice in verse number 13, and I'm not going to take any time with these creatures, but it says, And I saw three unclean spirits, like frogs, come out of the mouth of the dragon, and out of the mouth of the beast, and out of the mouth of the false prophet. So what you notice here is that you've got the three frogs, and they are coming out of the unholy trinity. You've got the beast, the dragon, and you've got the false prophet, and they're all speaking foul things. Not just foul things, but they're speaking demonic things. Demonic activities coming forth from these. One is a religious leader, one's a political leader, and the other one is nobody else but Lucifer himself, who was the anti-god of all time. But these come out of the river. They come out of these uh, three personages. We read in verse 14, For they are the spirits of devils. They work miracles, which go forth unto the kings of the earth. They go forth to further work with the 195 countries of the world, my tiny little empire. Not my empire, but the empire I'm describing. Which, please don't call it my empire, I don't want that. Which go forth unto the kings of the earth of the whole world to gather them to the battle of that great day of God Almighty. Behold, I come as a thief. Blessed is he that watcheth and keepeth his garments, lest he walked naked, and they see his shame, and he gathered them together into a place called in the Hebrew tongue Armageddon. Armageddon is the place of the final battle. The kings of the east, at least 200 million men army, comes to do battle. The kings, no doubt, of the other countries. So you've got all of these coming together. God is... Through the dragon, the beast, the false prophet, God is summoning all of the people that are of the worldly empire, the people that are of the world, he's calling them together, and they're coming and face the greatest wrath that the world has seen. Now, when we talked in Revelation chapter 14, we talked about the winepress of the wrath of God. Chapter 14 gives us just a tiny little view of what chapter 16 tells us about. So chapter 16 is detail 
about the concept in Revelation chapter 14. Do we get that? 14 is the concept, 16 is the detail. So what you've got here is you've got the Euphrates River drying up. You've got now the battle of the Armageddon that is coming. And uh, it's interesting how whenever the world faces something cataclysmic, they use the word Armageddon. They use that kind of term to describe it. Uh, well, that's what man is going to experience in the days to come. But the seventh bowl comes. So the seventh angel, and we read it in verse 17 down through verse 21. And the seventh angel poured out his vial into the air, and there came a great voice out of the temple of, God, of heaven from the throne, saying, It is done. God says, This is it. This is it. Uh, this is the finish of it. Now watch the details. And there were voices and thunders and lightnings. And there was a great earthquake such as was not since men were upon the earth. So mighty an earthquake and so great. And the great city was divided into the three parts and the cities of the nations fell. And great Babylon came in remembrance before God. Two cities that are mentioned repeatedly throughout the Bible. One is Babylon. The other one is Jerusalem. Here we see that Babylon comes to God's remembrance. It goes back to the beginning of human history. Early days of human history. Not the exact beginning, but early days of human history. Where God says... This is a rebellious lot. I must judge it. Now it's remembered once more. And he says it's to give unto her the cup of the wine of the fierceness of his wrath. So what we see in this very ending of the tribulation period, we see the wrath of God just becoming more intense and more fierce as it is poured down upon the world. And now I'm going to say something that is really, really, really radical. Okay? Are you with me? Are you falling asleep already? Still with me? Okay. It's really radical because I'm just simply going to read it, okay? So, not my idea. It's what God says. And every island did what? And the mountains. Now, isn't that radical? Just think about that. Every island, Hawaii, Australia, Newfoundland, there's quite a few around the world. They're going to disappear. All the islands go. Every mountain, if you've ever flown over the west, you see these majestic mountains. You see the Appalachians on the east. You, you fly over Israel, there are mountains and mountains and mountains. You fly over the Middle East, just everywhere in the world, there are unbelievable amount of mountains all over the world. Some of them have names, almost, I guess they all do. But I find here in this verse, I find something that is just absolutely so very, very intriguing because... The islands will disappear. The mountains 
They're not really difficult to find, are they? I mean, if you're driving out west, you think you're going to reach them, but you don't. You keep going, you keep going, you keep going. And if you have enough time, eventually you reach the mountain. Well, they're not that difficult to find. They're just farther away because they're so gigantic. Now he says they won't be found. So somebody's going to go look for the Rockies. Ain't going to be there. All right, now, I'm coming to a point on that, and, and hopefully our time will allow us to do that. We read in verse 21, And there fell upon men a great hail out of the heaven, every stone about the weight of a talent, and men blasphemed God because of the plague of the hail, for the plague thereof was exceeding great. So those people who still remain after all of these judgments, not going to be a massive amount, they're going to be eliminated in great numbers, but there will yet be some who will survive to the end until the judgment of the goat and the sheep nations take place. But I want you to see something. This is north of Jerusalem. You, you, you look at the terrain in Israel, and you talk about the promised land. It's, it's mountainous. It's lots and lots and lots of hills and valleys, just tons of them. Do you remember what Isaiah prophesied? Do you remember the song that is put out and we usually sing it at Christmas time? Every mountain, every valley, every mountain shall be brought low, every valley shall be raised up. Do you remember that song written based on the book of Isaiah? Do you remember what John the Baptist's mission was? His mission was to come and to make the way smooth. It was so that the mountains would disappear. It was so that the valleys would be filled. Isaiah's prophecy, John's purpose, we have all of that. Now, if you can imagine all of a sudden, can, can, I mean, you can't even believe this, can you, that all of a sudden these mountains would not be found? I mean, how can that happen? All right, let me just, let me just be a little quicker and move on here. Uh, Luke 3, 5, Every valley shall be filled, and every mountain and hill shall be brought low, and the crooked shall be made straight, and the rough ways shall be made smooth. This is not an invention of my mind. Something the Word of God tells us. Many people miss it, but it's in the Bible. It's right in the Scripture. Why will the mountains be brought low? Remove, why will the valleys be filled, which, by the way, when you think in terms of the valleys being filled, guess what an ocean is? An ocean is a very big valley. It happens to be filled with water. So if you all of a sudden have the valleys coming up, you have the mountains coming down, you've got the earth all of a sudden becoming a topical paradise. So what's happening here? is that the tribulation comes to an end and God pounces with earthquakes and all kinds of extremities to make it possible for the earth to come back to its original shape. I don't think the mountains were there in the beginning. I don't think the valleys were there in the beginning. That happened during the flood of Noah when everything just erupted and broke out, and the earth was a complete different feature after the flood than it was before the flood. It was judgment upon sinful living and upon sinful men. Now, when his judgments are over, he will restore the earth to a beautiful paradise. And the reason I want to show you this, and we'll come to this when we move into Revelation chapter 21 after a while, but if you see the red line 
that goes around this square, that is a square that gives you the dimension of the property where the city, the New Jerusalem, will come down and sit upon the earth. If you can imagine New Jerusalem encompassing that, doesn't say it's necessarily that territory, but that size, and it will be somewhere around Jerusalem, so it'll likely be that way, it could be the other way, no one knows for sure. It's not going to be sitting on top of mountains and valleys and water. It's going to be sitting on a terrain that accommodates the heavenly city. It's going to be upon a city that actually will be the most delightful city that you could ever imagine. So does it make sense that every mountain will be gone and every valley will be filled? Make sense to you? This fits perfectly in my mind. I mean, just happen to believe the Bible. That's all that really takes. Not Now, it's radical because I'll tell you what, any worldly person hearing this will just mock and laugh. <laughs> if it happened back there in Noah's day, it'll happen again. Just watch. Only it'll be in reverse. It's all going to be turned back. The day is coming when the heavenly city, Jerusalem, will come down and God's people will be in it. God's people will enjoy it. God's people will love it. And we look at that in far more detail. One of the things that is pressing upon us tonight is the fact that no matter what the judgment is upon the people of the tribulation, they do not repent, but they curse God. The angels say, appropriate judgment. Man says, we curse you for this. As Pharaoh cursed God through all the ten plagues, only for a little time did he give in to the people to leave at the end of the tenth plague. But he cursed God all the way through, so the people of the tribulation, they will curse God. These are the people that take the mark of the beast. These are the people who sell their souls out to the devil. And until the very end of their existence, they will curse God and hate God. And they'll have no place for God whatsoever. That's how this world is going to turn out. That's how it's all going to play out in the end. But thank God for the hope for the child of God. Because he has his blessed hope to be with Christ. He will not be in this tribulation time. He's, he's gone from this. He's, he's with the Lord. But he's saying, no, no, the church is going to go through all this. Oh, I get a headache just thinking about it. The church will not go through this. The church has the blessing of God that it is delivered from the wrath to come. The Bible tells us that. It's not a doctrine made up. It's something the Bible tells us. We have the blessed hope of going to be with the Lord. Are you on board? Thank you for joining us on today's podcast. If you're in the Elmer area, we would love for you to visit our church. For more information, visit openbible.ca and check out our show notes for the website.